blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asian Americans, Native Americans. America is under oppression right now, and that's what we're talking about today on Insights. Welcome back, Fan Christopoulos. Thanks for having me. It's a little bit different this time around. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you could be on here virtually, and we're using the internet, of course. So uh, this is awesome. I'm glad you didn't have to make the trip over. Yeah, it would have been. It's nice to make the trip. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this is definitely a little bit weirder to yeah. me, at least. I like being in person. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get used to it. And for people that are with us for the first time, this is their new normal, or it's our new normal that is their normal. And that is we're, uh, we're doing this without Than actually right here in the studio. Um, but uh, we're excited to do it. So let's, let's go for it. Let's jump in. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping we can have a good conversation here for a bit about this whole uh, issue of what's going on in terms of an, an oppressive atmosphere in America. And I actually, I'm not talking about ethnic uh, groups being oppressed. As you noticed, mm-hmm. I've included everybody in our nation in the intro. And basically, um, we are, I believe, not following the truth. We're not following the science. We're not following the data related to what's going on presently, currently, right now with COVID-19. And there are just some ridiculous things that have gone on. And yet it seems like uh, they're telling us to follow the science and data, but we're not. And it's creating this oppressive atmosphere. And so um, that's what we're uh, looking at here here today and um and i'm assuming that there's still some ways that you you sense this too yeah most definitely uh, oppression is the right word it's just this feeling where things are just weighing you down and um most people that i've talked to so far have said that 2020 itself has just probably been the hardest year that they've ever had to face as an adult so far hmm. right wow well Okay, we had another reminder of this. Now, I don't want to make this uh, the main focus here as we get started, but we just had another reminder of what I believe is how off base we are related to the science and the data. When the Big Ten Conference and the Pac-10 Conference, they both uh, are not allowing their their NCAA sports to happen in any of their sports uh, Mm -hmm. all fall, the whole fall semester. And I'm scratching my head because why in the world would you do this? And, and I, I got to just highlight this. Um, it just, it's actually driving me nuts. Now, it's not like I need to watch college football this, this fall. I mean, I, I enjoy watching a, a game here and there, but this is not like something personal. I'm purely looking at the data. Well, anyway, um, they said their top concern is for their players. Yeah. Well, guess what age group is absolutely least at risk when it comes to COVID-19? Yep. You know, not it, to mention it, how physically fit they are. Right. I mean, exactly. It's like you've taken people that are of the most healthy people in the entire country in the least risk zone. And you said, but we care about the players. So we're going to shut everything down. And this has been the approach to COVID-19 now for months. But again, just 
recently that reminder came across and I, and I just got to call these people out. I don't know what else to say, Than yeah. I am calling people out and I specifically want to call out the, the commissioner for the Pac-10, the commissioner for the Big Ten in saying this, that their concern is for the players. Now, I don't know if we can get this up on the screen for our YouTube viewers, but um, this is from the CDC website. Again, I am going with the science of the data, even though they accuse us of not using it. But mm-hmm. it, we can go all over the place and find this data. But here's the point. The CDC website, it specifically shows that the, the age group of 24 to infancy, so basically zero years of age to 24, there's almost no risk. And if you are at risk, it would be because you had a pre-underlining condition, a health issue. So, mm-hmm. so Than, I got to ask you a question. Since the, since the CDC and all the data shows that almost everybody who's died of this is 50 or, or older, like how many, how many NCAA football players or any other sports too, how many of them are over the age of 55 or are having serious health issues as they take the field? If they are, any of those criteria that you just mentioned, I don't know why they're even on the field. Right. And I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm assuming the coach would have them stay at, at their room and try to, to, to recover. So, I mean, it's just, this is nonsense. So when we look at this, we've got players that want to play. We've got coaches that want to play. We've got athletic directors that they need to process all the information. At least some athletic directors want to play, but they're, they have a more powerful decision-making opportunity than obviously the coaches or players. But then above them, we have the college presidents. Now, here's the thing. I'm not aware of a college president without at least one PhD, okay? Yep. And so they should be able to, since they're so educated, they should be able to follow the science and the data. Well, guess what? We have college presidents that have overruled the desire of their players and coaches, and probably in some cases the athletic directors, and they're the ones that have shut, shut it down and argued to close everything down. Now, if this isn't clear enough from the data, and I do want to hit a piece here in a minute, it's really obvious when you have some conferences like the SEC conference and Notre Dame University that's, uh, that's uh, independent. I mean, we have universities that are going ahead with their seasons, and, the, and they've mm-hmm. looked at the same data. So this isn't just like Than Christopoulos and Dave Warren, uh, you know, in their in their office trying to put data together. I mean, you can, anybody can look at this and, and come yep. to the same conclusion. Yeah, most definitely. I, it, as somebody who doesn't who doesn't have multiple PhDs, right? But yet looks at the statistics and can see and kind of philosophically look at the statistics and realize, okay, this is what's this, these are the risks. These are not the risks. These are the people that we should be watching out for. These are the people that we shouldn't be watching out for. I st- I just can't wrap my head around why some of these well-educated people are doing and saying what they're doing and saying. Right, right. I mean, I hear you. Um, I think it's a frustration for a lot of us. Now, it goes way beyond college athletics, but I just wanted to highlight that. And the other reason that they gave for um, for not uh, going forward with the season um, in these various sports is because of quoting some increased numbers in certain locations around the country. But this, again, this is just such a misrepresentation of the data. Uh, and I want to highlight something here. There, there's a, 
Okay, there's called the doubling rate. And early on in this thing in February, the experts were saying that the doubling rate for, for both getting confirmed cases as well as the death rate, it could be every two days or every three days. I mean, this was going to be explosive. And rather than having empty hospitals for the most part like we have today, and we've had throughout this thing, we were supposed to have hospitals that are overflowing. And of course, there's a few hot spots that, that did. But, but for the most part, our hospitals have not been anywhere near overloaded. So what I did is I've been sitting down on my computer each day for months, ever since I heard this, so back at the beginning of this thing, and I've been recording the doubling rates. And my point here in sharing this is where is the media reporting the doubling rates? Because they're not every two or three days. I'll get to that here in a second. And where in the world um, is the... The, uh, those keeping the, the people in these universities accountable to actually going with the science and the data. So here I've got five pages, one line at a time here for the doubling, right? Because like I said, I've been doing this for months. And five pages reveals this, that the, the doubling rate at the beginning of August for uh, for confirmed cases, it was 43 days, but it keeps getting longer and longer. And now at the end of August 2020, we are at 51 days. And uh, the death rate, the same thing. It was actually on August 3rd to, to see the number of deaths double in the U.S. It was 84 days. And now to see deaths double in the U.S. at the end of August, so only a little bit less than a month, it's 100 days. It's like we should be saying this is good news. Open up your athletic departments. Go and do things we haven't done before. But we refuse for some reason to actually go with the science and the data. So my question that I've been asking myself, and I still can't find out, I still have no answer to this question, is if we're not going based off of the science and the data, what are we going off of? You know, that's a great question. And I want to hear what you have to say. Um, and, you know, I'm just at the moment, it's like there is a certain narrative. And if you are not allowed to or if you are not uh, if you are not saying what goes in line with that narrative, mm-hmm. you're not a, a, either allowed to say it or you say it, and you get shut down quickly. And, you know, it's very interesting I'm thinking about censorship at the moment. There's been some really great stuff that we're giving hope and and various things related to COVID-19. And those were pulled off the social media platforms. And it was just because it didn't fit the narrative in my my opinion. So there's there's obviously powerful people, a group of people that want a certain narrative. And obviously the media wants this this narrative. Yeah, that's that's the only thing I can come up with at the end of the day is it, they're going based, they're not going off the science and the data, they're just going based off of what they need to do to kind of to your point, to kind of spread out this fear and oppression. Because what better way is there to get what you want done, than use fear and oppression to do so. Right. And, and I believe that at least part of this, probably not all of it, actually, but part of it, it's related to that it's an election year. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of ways you can politicize this, um, you know. And so, unfortunately, you know, will we see COVID-19 completely go away after November 3rd? Well, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people uh, suggest that, but we'll, we'll have to see, see what happens. Because I think there's other things at play, at play too. But, but going by the science and the data, and I, I, I gosh, I got to just encourage people to, to get Alex Berenson's book, Unreported Truths About COVID-19 and Lockdowns. Um, 
he's just nail stuff. He footnotes it. It's 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 accurate. It's helpful. He's an investigative researcher, wanting the truth, not wanting to take political sides or any other sides. And I just think it's important that we're aware of this. So, you know, we begin here with looking at something simple like uh, the NCAA um, and what certain commissioners are, are doing over at least a couple conferences. But, you know, it actually does go a lot deeper than this, this feeling of, of oppression or we're not allowed to say or do things. Um, you know, in the, um, in the state of California, that's been kind of an interesting one to follow. And uh, Pastor John MacArthur of his, his mega church out there, he, uh, he's been standing up to this recently. He said, look, um, there's no place in Scripture where it says that we are supposed to be dictated by the government, whether, whether that means meeting together or whatever we're doing. You know, obviously, you'd never want the government to dictate doctrine. And actually, that does happen in, in communist China. You know, you've yep. got... You've got the government that's got its fingers in everything. And, and, and MacArthur, in essence, has just said, this is enough. Caesar is not supposed to run the church, as he puts it. Jesus Christ is. And so he's having services even amidst a lockdown. But one thing I wasn't aware of was that uh, the, how Governor Newsom out in California, how he has, has really shut down even home Bible studies or even things much smaller that, that you could do. And I, I just want to uh, read this. Um, it, it says that the, the Q&A section posted at the California government website under the Our Gatherings permit, Permitted section says, state public health directives prohibit professional, social, and community gatherings. Gatherings are defined as meetings or other events that bring together persons from multiple households at the same time for a shared or group experience in a single room, space, or place, such as an auditorium, stadium, arena, large conference room, meeting hall, or other indoor or outdoor space. And it continues and says in this uh, at the website for the, the state of California, can I attend church? And it says the answer is that indoor services in places of worship must be discontinued. Another question asked, can I practice my religious faith? Again, the answer is that in, in-person religious gatherings have been restricted. And so, you know, they've just, they've just had enough of this. Um, and so mm-hmm. pastors are starting to stand up one thing based on the science and the data that uh, MacArthur points out is that the, the, the survival rate uh, of COVID-19 or the recovery rate, it's 99.92%. Yep. Or wait, just a second. Actually, it's 99.98%. So 0.02% chance that somebody's going to die of COVID-19. And yet there's these wildly restrictive measures going on. Now, this article goes on to talk about how they're taking them to court over this, meaning the state of, uh, of California, because they're encouraging, the governor is actually at the same time encouraging the protests where there's one protest in Los Angeles, 100,000 people crammed in like sardines. And you can see pictures of this online. And the governor's encouraging that kind of a thing, but telling churches you're not allowed to meet. And what this actually goes on to explain too, even Bible studies. So if you lived next door to me, and I want to invite you over for, for a Bible study, technically, based on what's going on in California, you're, you're not allowed. We're not allowed to meet because it's more than just my household at my kitchen table. I've invited somebody in. And again, this carries this feeling of oppression. Yep. 
in an essence, the freedom of speech hasn't been harbored upon, hasn't been infringed upon because these protesters are allowed to do as they please. Um, but then when it comes to the freedom of religion itself, that has been infringed upon, even though it presents way less risk, just if you look at the numbers of the people, just even a Bible study itself, there's a lot more inherent, there's a lot less inherent risk if you and I, 10 people even, get together in a household for religious gathering versus hundreds outside. Yeah. With a, with a, just because we have a mask or even some of them don't have masks. So it's just, it's kind of baffling to me. Right. And I think at this point, I think it's so important that as Christians in America that we're saying, wait a second, something smells real funny here. Um, it's in really foundational, let's call it what it is, essential things like church, but it's also in things like the NCAA. And we can look in other places um, in terms of what's being pulled off the Internet. At this point, we have to say, wait a second, this doesn't seem like we're all seeking after the truth. And again, this isn't oppression for a certain ethnic group in America. I believe this is oppression for all of us. Um, You know, just highlighting one other thing uh, from the governmental realm. Um, So in Michigan, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, she sent out another executive order on August 4th. And I'm not going to get into all the details. You can look it up at at michigan.gov and and find find it there. But... But just in summary, it's like if you look at this, uh, this executive order that came out on August 4th, it, sh- it appears like she is absolutely consolidating power and making sure nobody's out of line. Now, on the one hand, if you're the governor and you give an executive order, you want people to obey it. But what I have felt for quite some time, actually months, is that Governor Whitmer is not so interested in working with the people and the desires of the people, again, going with the facts and the data. Um, but she is, she is trying to get everybody in alignment with herself, um, yep. even though it's, uh, it's, it's not clear that this is the path forward. Yeah, I, I, and I can't speak for Michigan itself since I don't live over there, but I've been following a lot of what's going on over there, and it seems like the majority of the people there are not in agreement with their leaders ways so it, it kind of begs the question then at that point what, what is this good leader supposed to be doing in this instance right you know um you know i do live in michigan and i can tell you that i mean somebody just said to me the other day they just said um it looks like governor whitmer has sealed her fate is being in only a one-term governor. And I said, yeah. well, she's not really up for re-election until two more years and people do forget. And he just said to me, people are not going to forget this. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, you're right. I, the people I'm talking to, they're just, they're just either appalled or scratching their heads. Like, how does this even happen in, in the U.S.? I mean, in my county, we have hardly any cases. We have zero percent increase in deaths week after week these kinds of things and and yet it yet just seems to make no no difference yeah it the biggest thing that i kind of i i relate to is just the scratching my head thing and it all comes down back really down to are we following the science and the data 
And if we are following the science and the data, then we know what logically follows, but we're kind of going against what the science and the data suggests. And it just really speaks to this oppression to the American people themselves that has kind of befallen this country right now. It, it, there's people that are jobless. There's people that are terrified to just live their life. There's people that are just terrified in general of everything that's going on. And it just seems like there's this machine that just keeps on feeding this oppression and this fear. And say, Dan, speaking of oppression and fear, did you see that article where it actually had graphs on it and it actually showed the healthiest age group, again, let's go 24 and under, but you could really say 50 and under. But did you yeah. see that where it's showing the bar graph where here's the number of people that are getting cases or, or dying in that in that younger age group, but the mm -hmm. fear was like really high in that age yep. group. There is a narrative that is, that, that well, it's in some cases paralyzed us. Again, I want to use the word oppressed us. I mean, it's really stunning how, if I can put it this way, how effective the media has been. Oh, it's, it's, it's extremely effective. I, I, I have so many friends of mine that if I ask them, let's go out and get some dinner. Well, why don't, why don't we just, you know, have a zoom call instead, or why don't it's just, you can't really get your friends to do anything with you. You can't, you can't go out and just enjoy your life anymore because people are terrified. You and, know, there is something in the air that is really creepy. And, and I just want to say, I think we need to be careful within the church because we can do subtle things, even taking social distancing too far, where we're actually affirming the narrative and mm -hmm. we're not explaining the science and the data in our own churches, which I think would be so valuable if we did. Yeah, I, I think as believers, we have a we have a line to tiptoe that many people don't, and that's we have the line to tiptoe to stay, stay towards the truth, but then also to actually still be loving towards our neighbors. And in the church, for instance, I wouldn't approach, if I was just out at a bar or a restaurant or something like that, let's just say, and then at church, there's an 80 year old in front of me who has, you know, the nasal cannula on because she can barely breathe as it is. I'm going to socially distance with her. But if I'm right. approaching somebody my age, it's it's kind of a different thing and i think as believers we have to tiptoe that line um between fear and truth and loving our neighbors as well mm -hmm. and i think we have a as, i think a lot of believers are having trouble with that because they just don't know where that line is and what i'm really concerned about is what a radical departure is in america and probably every country of the world that's going through this pandemic in, in terms of a radical departure, in terms of how we're responding to it and handling it. We've never done what we've done over the last few months here with this thing. Um, and it's, I believe it's really putting us in this oppression and bondage. And suddenly it's our government leaders that are dictating just about everything. And th this is a scary spot, a scary spot to be, um, you know, not quite yet, but I do, I know that we've had some really good looks at Psalm 107. I want to talk about that because this is deeply spiritual. This is not just about mm -hmm. a disagreement over some kind of social distancing, or it's not just a, a disagreement about, golly gee, I want to watch college football this fall. My team doesn't get to play. Like there's some really deep spiritual stuff going on here. Um, so let's just hang on to that thought uh, yeah. a minute. And, and, and then we're going to, in a few minutes, get to Psalm 107. Okay. Um, but I got to say that there's something else that is adding this oppressive feel, feeling to everybody. 
And that is this barrage of the media um, just talking about all these new cases and all these deaths. And, uh, you know, again, going back to the CDC website and that graph, it does not support what they're saying. They need to say what they're saying with the rest of the truths and the balance that comes to this. Now, one area in particular that I feel um, has added layers of oppression to this is not having had a reasonable discussion, thoughtful discussion, and then response from Dr. Fauci um, as it relates to hydroxychloroquine. Now, I know many people say, well, no, he addressed it, and he said it's ineffective and all these kind of stuff. But just on August 12th, three medical doctors, they wrote an open letter to Dr. Fauci because a lot of the people dying, in their opinion, they don't need to be dying. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. They don't need to be dying. And I mean, this is huge, right? Like if you, if you had a cure, if you had something where, where our death rate was just a fraction of what it is right now, I mean, people probably wouldn't be walking around with this oppressed feeling and like, mm-hmm. you know, I, need, I can't have dinner with my friends like you were just describing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So here's the thing. I, I just, this is a, like a 13-page a letter that I printed out. And I just need to re, uh, read parts of it. And I want to get, for the YouTubers, I want to get the, uh, the website, uh, the link up there on the, on the description part of the, uh, of the, uh, the post. Um, but this is unbelievable. This, this is Dr. George Fareed, MD uh, from Brawley, California. Then there's uh, MD Michael Jacobs from Pensacola, Florida. And then there's Donald Pompin uh, from Salinas, California. I mean, again, these are not lightweights, you know, and they're going to actually quote a Yale professor in this, one of the most highly regarded people. This is the science and the data. And Dr. Fauci, he needs to quit brushing this topic off or even saying it's ineffective. So I'm going to read a few things here. And this is very, very pointed. I would actually love to read the whole 13 pages, but um, but won't. (laughs) (laughs) But it begins, Dr. Fauci, and then skipping down a couple paragraphs, it says, as experience accrued in treating COVID-19 infections, physicians worldwide discovered that high-risk patients can be treated successfully as an outpatient within the first five to seven days of the onset of symptoms with a, quote, cocktail consisting of hydroxychloroquine with zinc, azithromycin, or doxycycline. And he goes on to say multiple scholars' contributions to the literature details the efficacy of the hydroxychloroquine-based combination treatment. Imagine if this got out through all of the media, mostly I'm addressing mainstream media that holds this information back, Mm -hmm. and Dr. Fauci and others. These are top people saying, we've got a cure or close to a cure. I've seen so many doctors in their own words explain, I've seen 300 patients, all of them have recovered. Now, Than... What would happen to this oppressive atmosphere we're feeling in this nation and shutting things down like the NCAA uh, sporting events? What would happen if we said, hey, if you get it within the first five to seven days, we're going to give you this cocktail and we'll be good to go. And you'll probably be back on the court or back on the field within a week or two. Yep, it'd be gone. What is going on? This is oppressing everyone in America. But I got to go a little bit further here. um, 
they do go on to quote this Dr. Harvey, Harvey Risch from Yale, which is super important. But then they get into pages of pointed questions for Fauci. I got to read a few of these because this stuff is stunning. I mean, it's pages of questions like saying, Dr. Fauci, we want an answer. We want you to, to tell us about this. Okay. So mm-hmm. this one says, are you aware that, that physicians are successfully using hydroxychloroquine combined with zinc and azithromycin as a cocktail for early outpatient treatment of symptomatic high-risk individuals? And again, this keeps coming up over and over. You don't give this to people when they're on their deathbed and in the hospital. You give them. Yep. You have doctors prescribe it to them right away. Um, have you heard of the Zelenko Protocol, which is, that's talking about Dr. Zelenko out of New York. He's been an advocate for this whole thing, too. And it says, are you aware of it, the Zelenko Protocol for treating high-risk patients with COVID-19 as an outpatient? Have you read Dr. Rish's article, this is the Yale professor, in the American Journal of Epidemiology of the Early Outpatient Treatment of covid 19 It's like, Dr. Fauci, yes or no? Do you know yep. this? Are you aware of this? And and then it goes on to say, are you aware uh, there are hundreds of physicians in the U.S. and thousands across the globe who have had dramatic success treating high-risk individuals as outpatients with this cocktail? Dr. Fauci, are you aware that there are at least 10 studies demonstrating the efficacy of early outpatient treatment with the hydroxychloroquine cocktail for high-risk patients? So this is beyond anecdotal. Correct, Dr. Fauci, we want to answer. Is it true with regard to the hydroxychloroquine treatment of COVID-19 infection? You have said repeatedly, quote, that the overwhelming evidence of properly conducted randomized clinical trials indicate no therapeutical efficacy of hydroxychloroquine. And it goes on and it explains that some of these trials, they were done without zinc. The whole point of the hydroxychloroquine is to get zinc in the cells. You got to take both with an antibiotic. And it's unbelievable the level of what's going on on here and, and we should not be letting this go away in terms of whether you're a businessman, a school teacher, whatever you do for your profession, you should be taking this data to your boss and whoever else, your congressmen and women, you should be uh, dealing with this. This should not be stuff that's shoved under the rug and now we just blindly follow whatever our governor has to say. So my question because you, you read off a bunch of questions that Dr. Fauci was faced with. Do you have the answers that he gave to those questions? As far as I know, and I, I could be off here, but as far as I know, he's not responded to this letter. You know, like, just, like everything, just, just, just let it go away. And why is he not motivated to answer those questions? I mean, okay, we're all in this together, right? We all want a solution cure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on here? And why will the media not put this front page everywhere that these three doctors have written this open letter? I mean, it's unbelievable. And by the way, before I forget, uh, I found this letter at zerohedge.com, but uh, but it's other places out there. Um, but yeah. again, if you're a YouTuber, we'll have, the, uh, we'll have the link there in the description. Good to know. So I just lost my train of thought. I had a really good point I wanted to bring up. <laughs> well, Than, um, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath because you always have good points on these things. And I, I realize I that I've kind of lost my... <laughs> that's all right. You know, um, while you're thinking, hey, let me just throw this out there that, yeah. you know, we've seen the same thing with vitamin C and vitamin D. 
uh, known. And, and for this, I'm leaning on Dr. Joseph Mercola. You can go to mercola.com. I encourage you to sign up for his newsletter. He always has great info on just about everything related to health issues. And it's very helpful. He, he embraces the good part of traditional science, and he goes into um, alternative things or free things like eating healthier. He just does a great job. Dr. Mercola, I think it's just mercola.com. But anyway, I, I get his newsletter helps. But he's just been talking about vitamin C and vitamin D for six months since this thing broke out. He talked about it before COVID broke out. And here's the point, is if we were really interested in helping people and not just looking for pharmaceutical uh, uh, solutions that will, will uh, allow certain people and, and pharma companies to make huge amounts of money. Vitamin C, vitamin D, especially vitamin D3, it is huge. Um, it is helpful. But again, this stuff, we're, we have simple or more simple answers readily available. And we could have our immune system so strong through vitamin C and vitamin D, even taking hydroxychloroquine as a preventative measure. I mean, we, we have great stuff that it's like most people aren't even aware of. And again, it adds to this oppression that when am I going to get it? When am I going to die? Who around me is going to die? This is just ridiculous that we're still doing this after six, six months of this. Yeah. They, I just remember what I wanted, what I wanted to bring up too. And it, this has gotten to the point where I, I firmly believe there's there are lives on these doctors and Dr. DeFauci's hands. There are, there have been deaths as a result of these false narratives out. A, a prime example is somebody that I know, um, one of their loved ones passed away of COVID-19 because the doctors refused to administer. Uh, the name of the medication is off the, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's a it's a steroid that you would inhale through a nebulizer, and the doctor that it, that the doctor that really found this out is based out of Texas. You you shared a video with me a, a while back. The mm -hmm. doctors refused to give him this medicine strictly because it, they were afraid of getting put at risk of contracting COVID from the COVID patient that hmm. I knew. Wow. This person ended up passing away as a result of the of the doctors refusing to give it to him. Wow. They refused to give him hydroxychloroquine. And I'm sure there's tons of other stories out there that are very similar to that one. Well, hey, if I can just interject with a couple, because, you know, it's not just about the science and the data. It's about real people that we know. So I know this leading pastor in the South Bend, Indiana area, and he is and his wife from their later 60s. They came down with COVID. And he said, our doctor right away prescribed hydroxychloroquine with zinc, which is so vital, and with an antibiotic. Well, anyway, he said that our um, uh, our case was much more short-lived had we not had that. He said he was starting to get that filled-up feeling in his lungs. He said the bottom quarter of his lungs, it was like they were frozen, like this is not going a good direction. Hydro hydroxychloroquine with zinc azithromycin, it so helped him in his own words. He never had to go to the hospital. Uh, he recovered. He said this. Then his daughter, now she's much less risk group because just of she being younger, his daughter, he said, was in another state where they weren't allowed to administer the, quote, cocktail that these three doctors are telling us about and many, many other doctors. Anyway, she actually got it far worse. He said she really went through it. And so, um, you know, it is, it's interesting when you get the first hand stories of, of how this thing can work. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious as to why they're not allowed to administer it. Because there, there has to be perceived risks to not allow somebody to put like a bar against administering this cocktail. Right. I, I believe that there should be people indicted. I believe there should be trials. I believe that mm -hmm. many of the right now are about 180,000 deaths attributed to COVID, which obviously we know many of them actually weren't COVID, but they were COVID positive yeah. and they died of something else. But anyway, the statistics show right around 180,000 right now. And, uh, and I agree with you, Than. Like, wow, like there needs to be court cases going on right now. And I think Dr. Fauci needs to be, uh, be brought into court and testify. Like, what in the world? Like, I've seen too many doctors on, yep. on YouTube and other places that have said, this works. This is amazing. Like, why is this going on? And I think there needs to be media people, too, that are held accountable. Like, why aren't we hearing about this? Yep. The... There's there's no sense of accountability that I just don't I don't see doctors being held accountable for mishandling truth and mishandling data because there are people that have died from COVID-19, right? Many of them that did not have to die mm -hmm. strictly and because of a narrative that is being pushed and truth that is being suppressed by certain people, right? You know, what's interesting to me on that topic uh, that, you know, there's been a number of people that died, that they were elderly, they were in um, long-term care facilities, they got sick, but, but rather than going to hospitals, they were sent back into their assisted living long-term mm -hmm. care facilities where they spread it and many, many more people died. But what's a lot of people know about that, but what's interesting to me as a footnote is many of these states have now, just in the last few months, they've passed immunity legislation so they cannot be sued for mm -hmm. how they've handled that or how they've handled anything. And so again, it's like, like what is this where there's nobody being held accountable legally? You can't hold, uh, at least some of these people, you can't hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. The other side of this, because back on a topic was oppression and fear. One of the ways that oppression happens is by silencing people. And something I've definitely noticed is that I'm trying to figure out a way, the best way to articulate this, but so if what I'm about to say doesn't make sense, let me know. <laughs> but essentially there are people out there that think the virus itself is a hoax, that it does not exist. Well, that's it. That, okay. That seems crazy. Okay. Go ahead. And I think it's pretty safe for everybody listening in on this to assume that you and I are not of that ilk, right? Right. We, acknowledge, we, we publicly acknowledge it's real, it's dangerous, it kills people, and we do need to be careful and tiptoe the line and figure out where the line is, all that stuff. Right. But I think part of the oppressive side of things is that there are people that directly straw man people uh, in your, yours and I's positions and pretty much just say that we think we don't think it exists, which in an essence just completely takes away our floor to speak and then people don't want to listen to people like you and I because right. it's it's an intentional effort to take away our credibility like yep. what a bunch of yahoos and they don't even think exists and my own grandmother died we're not saying that that's yep. just bizarre why is it like a hundred percent full on um, everybody's good and everybody's doing the right thing which we just explained that that's not the case and and on the other hand it's like, oh, it doesn't totally exist when you have people that are denying it. Like, where is the middle conversation exactly. where we can actually get some traction? 
it's a total false dichotomy. It's a straw man. And it, frankly, it's even ad hominem at that. If, if you're aware, if you're aware of what different logical fallacies are, it's just, there's no truth or logic. It's just, you're either on this side, you're on this side when the truth really is right here and nobody cares about the truth. Great point. Awesome. And that kind of great point can only lead us into the Bible that can even make a better point. (laughs) And so everything we've been talking about on our podcast here, uh, Than, everything, and you brought this up, why is this happening? I believe it's explained in the Bible, and I believe it's calling on the body of Christ to lead. That's the big thing I want everybody to get out of Psalm 107 as we just make a few points from this thing uh, as we wrap up here. But, But, you know, we have got to lead in the body of Christ. Yes, even in the realm of COVID-19, even if you're not a doctor, we need to realize there's a narrative out there that's in contradiction to the science. God's going to tell us what to do. And, um, and one thing that's so important that we realize is the reason that nations get in this kind of trouble, and it's articulated uh, repetitively, I mean four times in Psalm 107, is because the people of a nation rebel. The people of a nation turn the other way. The people of a nation basically shake their fist at God and say, we're going to do what I want. We're going to do what we want to do. Thanks for the insights. Thanks for your love and care about us, but we're really not interested. And then this kind of thing going on in America right now it can burst forth, meaning this oppression, these hard hardships, difficulty. And if we as the body of Christ don't lead in this moment, I shudder to think where our nation is eventually going to go. Because this is not just simply get a vaccine or get a, you know, get hydroxychloroquine and, and everything goes away. This is like seriously spiritual in nature. Yep. No, definitely. I, I, I'm glad that you're bringing it to the Bible because... That is the source of truth in our lives. So what specifically about Psalm 107 that you, did you really kind of connect this to? Uh, um, you know, a, a couple things for sure, obviously, but just to say the super obvious thing, our theme today is just yeah. like an oppressive feeling in your, your nation. It's not yep. just a feeling. You are, you get the feeling because you are actually being oppressed in ways that don't make sense. And in all the difficulty it, it repeatedly talks about, but what really then connects with me is that um, you find your nation, your community, your church in this situation, and what it says is that it got so bad that in each of these four situations in the Psalm 107, each one, the people eventually come to their senses, they turn to God, and they cry out. Mm-hmm. And that is the key when you look at this psalm every time god responds god responds but he won't respond for us and if there's one thing that i think has been missing since the outbreak of of covid19 and then the race riots after that and all the upheaval in our nation now this 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 probably potentially volatile election cycle that's right in front of us is that i still don't feel like the body of Christ has rose up in unison and cried out the way Psalm 107 talks about. Mm-hmm. It's so vital. It's the key. It's how we lead, whether we know the science or not, whether we're an expert or not, whether we can read good stuff on the internet or not. The way out of all of this is a heartfelt cry 
first by the body of Christ. And as we lead in this area, I believe that God, um, God would, would move in some dramatic ways. Yep. No, I definitely agree with you on this. It... So did anything stick out to you? To me, it was just the present theme. Um, you know, in verse four, some wandered in desert ways, finding no way to a city to dwell in hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Some, if you go on, another one would be some were fools, their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction, they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And it just, if you read through Psalm 107, that's the general theme. It's either they were in a place where they were afflicted uh, just due to outside causes, or they were in a place of affliction due to their own sin. And every right. single time, no matter what got them to that point, it was them crying to the Lord that set them free from that affliction. Amen. And, and you know, if you read through this psalm, you can be pretty bad off as a community or nation. And yet God, even then, God will cry or hear your cry. I mean, it's just, it's so awesome to read God's heart on this thing. But will America turn in this direction? Because again, I don't know if people are really thinking like these are levels of oppression that we're experiencing. Um, even if all you take is like super, I don't want to say super, but somewhat shallow stuff, like, God mm -hmm. oh, dang it, I don't get to watch college football. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I at least don't get to watch my team. But if that's the only part that you get about this, see behind what's going on in the newspapers, underneath there's a reason why these things happen that's spiritual. And clearly, COVID-19 is not a good thing. Clearly, if there was a reason to cry out related to this, race riots, our economy that could you know, go over the edge, who knows when. But all this should be bringing us to the point of like, whoa, let's cry out to God. Yep. I, the other uh, piece of scripture, I'm not going to dig into it too much, but the other piece of scripture that I really like in relation to this topic we're hitting is Micah 2. So for context, Micah 1 is really just more prophetic things against uh, and he's speaking out against sins of the people against God, where Micah 2 is talking about um, the sins of man against men. And it, and this Micah is actually specifically addressing people in power and people that are directly oppressing um, mm -hmm. the poor, the sick, the widowed, and the people that are just trying to really get by while also honoring the Lord. So, And Than, before yeah. you read it, I just want to say, if there are people that are holding back helpful medications, known uh, cures, like hydroxychloroquine has been around for mm -hmm. 65 years. They know that there's almost no side effects from this thing, even though the media seems to hit another uh, hit, hit it from another angle. And, and I believe it's, it's a culture of lies. I don't believe it's based on truth, but whatever. But if we have these kinds of people, you just said oppressors that afflict the sick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's going on. I believe it's going on. And so some really good like points here, you know, it, the, it, chapter two starts instantly with saying, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When their morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. I mean, we, and we can clearly even just see that right there happening already. You, like you mentioned, oppression towards the sick and the people that need it. But 
think about even just with all the shutdown, shutdowns that are going on, they covet fields and seize them in houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house and man in his inheritance. We can see that happening to us, the people right now, because of, I mean, you, I don't even have to explain it. You can see out there, people can't work. People can't go out and spend their money. People can't go out and just enjoy dinner or anything. The government itself has taken a hold against people and their power and their inheritance in their homes. Um, in that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people and how he removes it from me. Those are the people crying out against their oppressors. Um, I, I, I could go on and on. I'll say one more, but even just when in the topic of as believers being able to preach the word of God and being able to share the gospel and just get together and have a Bible study. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things, disgrace will take over us. I, it just goes on and on. And I, I find Micah 2 to be very, I'm not going to say Micah 2 is written for this time and that we're experiencing. It was written for a very specific time, but we can find the parallels. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's parallels there. And there are ways of oppressing people that are clearly, uh, that, that are sinister, that are, are hurtful. And mm -hmm. God, throughout the scriptures, God hates it when evil people will rise. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much to say here, Than. And, um, you know, connecting that with back to Psalm 107, the word oppressor is used with people getting oppressed in verse 39 of Psalm 107. And Yet there's this clear way of breaking out of this through seeking God wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And then each of these four examples given in this passage, it says then the people rejoiced and the people thank God and they praise God. Yep. And, and yet what I see so many times in the American churches, we want to go straight to celebration. Well, wait a second. You know, have we really done the things that God called us to do about taking a deep dive with him, uh, holding on to him? And, uh, and, and, and crying out to him from the deepest part of our being, like, God, stop the deaths. God, we trust you. God, we're turning away from our sins. And yep. th these are the things that we need, need to do. And, um, you know, I'm excited just to, to wrap up today, uh, Than, because we know of a couple things that are actually in the calendar by uh, ministries that Forerunners of America um, has and is partnering with. And it's super exciting because they give us tracks to run on to cry out to God, um, both mm -hmm. indiv as individuals in our churches nationwide and so forth. And I'm just really excited. Um, you know, we were able to just touch on these a couple of weeks ago when we uh, recorded the last Insights video. But the, the two are these. Uh, the first one is 10 days, which is you know, this huge commitment, but I think it's awesome because we're going to give God a, a, just a, 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 just a massive uh, a, a focus in all of our attention. We want to do something extreme, excessive. So 10 days of seeking the Lord from September 18th through the, through the 28th. And, uh, and there's going to be people all over the country just getting low before the Lord, confessing our sins, crying out to God exactly what's in Psalm 107. It's mm -hmm. going to be awesome. And then also uh, the return, which will be on the National Mall at, in Washington, D.C. I mean, there's going to be who knows how many thousands there. Um, I'm curious to see what they're going to be doing with social distancing and all yeah. that. But Jonathan Kahn has been kind of the face of that. He's uh, 
uh, a Messianic Jew. He's a, a rabbi. He's a, a Christian pastor. He's an author, um, written many books. But he's kind of been the face for that. But many Christian leaders rallying shoulder to shoulder for the return Saturday, September 26th, part of 10 days. 10 days is in partnership with the return. The return is in partnership with 10 days. It's going to be awesome seeing the body of Christ coming together and uh, and just seeing this happen. And, and by yeah. the way, I'm going to be there um, uh, uh, at the mall in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, September 26th. I just am so excited because this also carries the themes that we talked about a couple weeks ago with Joel 2, a solemn assembly before the Lord because Joel is all about national difficulty. Here we go. Mm-hmm. In America, it's finally like after all these months of all these shakings, it's like America's finally finding its voice it's mm-hmm. focus, and it's all related to Psalm 107 and in uh, Micah 2 that you were reading, and it's it's going to be good. Yeah. So you know, if I can, if I if I can just take us one step further, let's make this about fasting as well. I think the whole month of September is huge. So even beyond ten days in the return, like Lord, would you have me fast and pray? during the month of September for however long, at least on September 26th, which by the way, the return's gonna have a simulcast, thereturn.org, you can find it there. You can lead something in your church, I guess depending upon the state you live in, you can do something in your church. But anyway, um, it's uh, there's simulcast for, for this huge gathering at the return. There's the 10 days, uh, again, uh, 10days.net is where, uh, is where you can find info about that. Of course, our website, forerunnersofamerica.org. But I am excited because I feel like after months of floundering, we're finally coalescing as the body of Christ. And I'm I'm looking forward to that. Same here. Yeah. So, Than, on any of this, we've had quite a discussion here. Anything, any lingering thought you just want to share before we wrap up? No. uh, The only thing I would say to any of the listeners is just go serve your king. Amen. Amen. Let, let, let me just say, Lord, turn our hearts towards you fully. We humble mm-hmm. our hearts, God. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Let us be the humble in the land that see a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Than, great being with you, and thanks for, for joining uh, me here. Awesome. Thanks for having me again. And thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and please uh, uh, pass the word and make everybody aware that you can find us, obviously, on, on YouTube at Forerunners of America uh, Insights. You can find this as a podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. And uh, there's all those ways to get, stay connected. And if you are at YouTube, I also want to say please make a comment, ask a question, challenge us further on anything. Um, Maybe seeking the Lord for 10 days in September isn't enough. Like, get on there. Let's challenge each other or ask a question. I try to reply as much as I can, and I know that Dan would uh, love to, to hear your comments as well. So thanks for listening.